0: I want a bit of the quiet life I want a bit of shelf indulgence If there is reading, give me all of it Join the show on the Microbrew Radio Listen to Jim, Wendy and Emily Join in the conversation, I want to hear it, I want to read it, I want a bit of Shelf Indulgence, I want to hear it, I
1: want to read Hello, it. Hello and welcome to Shelf Indulgence, indulgence your weekly it. dose of, read read of all things bookish from Micro indulgence. Brew Radio. This evening it's myself Jim and the delightful Wendy and we will be talking to you about the book of form and emptiness by Ruth Ozeki, I think I pronounced it correctly. Ozeki, Ozeki, I'm not sure. But anyway,
2: I, I would say Ozeki.
1: Yeah. Um let us delve straight in, Wendy. This book um has I don't know, divided us, torn us, but also we're of a similar point of view. Um, yeah, I
2: think I think um having a brief chat, there's definitely some some similarities to it. Yeah. Um but I there's a real surprise in this book for me. Um, so I've been, um, I'm really pleased that we chose it and that we read it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's one I picked and I picked it because it had got mixed reviews. Um, and it felt very up my street. So let me read the back of the book for the, the listeners. When a book and a reader are meant for each other, both of them know it. After the tragic death of his father, 13 year old Benny O begins to hear voices. The voices belong to the things in his house and sound variously pleasant, angry or sad. Then his mother develops a hoarding problem and the voices grow more clamorous. So Benny seeks refuge in the silence of a large public library. There he meets a mesmerising street artist with a smug pet ferret, a homeless philosopher poet and and his very own book, who narrates Benny's life and teaches him to listen to the things that truly matter blending unforgettable characters with jazz, climate change, and our attachment to material possessions. This is classic Ruth Ozeki, bold, humane, and heartbreaking. Now, I thought I was going to love this book, and I have loved this book, but also, I think, straight out the gate, I need to come clean with all the listeners and yourself, Wendy, that I couldn't finish this book. Um, And if you are someone who has had mental health problems or is dealing with mental health uh, issues or is going through any sort of therapy, this book might not be the book for you right now. Certainly, I got to a point where my own mental health uh, and the issues that I've had around bereavement, I didn't feel like I could finish this book yet. I've, had to, I've got so far in and I've had to put it down and go... I'm going to come back to that when I'm feeling a little bit stronger.
2: I think that's really. Um, I think first of all, it's really good that you acknowledge that, Jim, and thank you for sharing that because that's that's very personal and um, and I really appreciate you you trusting us to to share that with. But I think that you made absolutely the right decision. Um, there are parts in this book that are quite bleak, um, dealing with mental health issues, not just from Um, the main character's point of view from Benny's point of view, but actually from his mother's point of view as well. And, um, and, and it, it can through the middle of the book and towards the latter end of the book, um, it does get quite heavy. Um, and I think you, I think we are right to issue that warning.
0: Yeah.
1: I think it's, it's a book that needs to be read if you're in the right place and if you're, and if it's the right kind of book for you. Um, this book doesn't have drive through pace through action, does it? No, if and that a... was
2: really for me. That was one of the that's the the surprise that came from this because I finally realised from reading directly as a result of reading this book is that I'm a reader who is driven by plot, not by story. And so, for me, this story is meandering. Um, there's whole chunks of the book where nothing happens, that that no, no specific action takes place. It's intensely reflective. Um, and a lot of the book is about internal dialogue from the book point of view, but also from the main character's point of view, too. Um, and I'd never really understood my reading style until I read this. And it's really brought it home to me. That, um whilst this is a a well-written book, and whilst I can understand why it has had some really, really good reviews, it just doesn't fit my style because not enough action takes place for me.
1: Now, I know you you did Persevere and Soldier Through and you have finished the book. Yes. So, do you feel, are you still glad you read the whole thing? Is it a story, although it's not the kind of story that drives you to read it is it a story that has had an impact on you um
2: I don't feel um I don't feel any better off from having read the book um, like I do with lots of stories I think oh that was a really good story I really enjoyed that I'm pleased I read it I don't feel that about this book um because there is there was nothing new in it for me so there was a lot of detail about the relationships. There was a lot of detail about the reflection on the mental health issues and on the mental processing that went on. So there was there's lots of minutiae in it, um, and I can well understand that maybe somebody a bit younger and with a bit a bit younger, not not quite so long in the tooth as me, and probably with a bit of l- less life experience. Um, this book may be revolutionary for them in terms of what mental health feels like when it is going through its various stages of, of um, deterioration and then coming back from that brink. Um, but there was nothing new in it for me. So from that point of view, I didn't particularly find it um, enjoyable or uh, or a worthy read um but i wasn't not going to finish it because um obviously you know I, I wanted to to be able to to review it for the listeners
1: i think for me from where i've got to which is you know a, a good way in but for me the book is very much um an enjoy- i found it an enjoyable read i enjoyed the space and the time it gave me for reflection now that meant it wasn't a quick read by any, but you know, I had to invest. No, no it
2: isn't time, a quick read. Yeah,
1: serious time. You know, other books do drag you by every inch of skin that can grab hold of through their plots and their narratives mm. because it's it's action, action, action. Um, you know, I'm thinking Tartan Noir, and Stuart McBride, but. Yeah, yeah. Encounter to this, this has got loads of room for reflection and inner thought and I think you're right for someone um like myself and also like someone who might be younger than me uh, or older than me, but who are for anyone who has in within them a desire to reflect and think more about who they are and how they fit into the universe, this book has something to offer um so the book is inspired by um, Zen, Buddhist Zen thinking. The idea yeah. of emptiness in terms of uh, Buddha and <clears throat> that ne- that notion is that, is that emptiness isn't the absence of things, but rather the fact that we can't conceive and understand things properly because they are so much more than we could possibly comprehend. Mm. And... And that idea of all these different things having voices, you know, it's at what point is this mental health or some sort of enlightenment? It's, it, I think it's a very interesting question. You know, we all do experience the world in different ways. It's only a language that gives us a commonality of understanding of the world. Um, but that understanding of the world is only as good as the language we use. You know, what but I. For me, the uh, logic. Go on, go
2: on. But For me, the, the logic in, in me um, didn't even go down that route, Jim, because the logic in me was um, very aware that this was a young boy with a mother that had lost her soulmate and who hadn't dealt with that particularly well. And then compounding on top of that had, was struggling to cope with her job. And she was, she was having to go through different iterations of whether she was going to keep her job or not. And she kept going for, for her son's sake. Um, and so, and then her son started to experience these, these voices that he could hear these, um, in his head. Um, and for me, the logic was that these were two people that were, were experiencing really quite severe uh, mental health problems. Um, at times, him bordering on psychotic, and hers were l- lesser in terms of acute symptoms. Um, but actually, hoarding is a really serious mental health issue. Yeah. Um, and they were going through this. And, and, and sort
1: of classic depression symptoms.
2: Oh, oh, Absolutely. And they just kept, it, it was so sad because they just kept missing each other. There, there were so many times in the book where where had they have had that little bit of perspective, or if there had been somebody guiding all of this universe that was going on in this relationship between the two of them, they would have met and they could have helped to heal each other but they just kept missing each other yeah. and that sense of frustration was for me was huge um because i really had an empathy for her um she did her very best and she was she was she was classic of somebody uh, going through her type of mental illness because to all intents and purposes anybody looking at her from the outside would never apart from the hoarding would never have sort of thought that she was as clinically depressed as she was. No. So this is a quite a, a she. She refers to herself as an optimistic woman. She's a cheerful woman. She's happy-go-lucky. Is how she describes herself, and is completely blind to the mental health issues of the sadness and the abandonment that she's going through. And and the the mechanisms that she's got to deal with that, which is the the holding, and there's something for for me in this book. There was something profoundly sad about her. Um, it, it really, I found it difficult to read at times, and and some of her experiences I just found were so bleak. And and it's really weird because they weren't written like that. But my understanding of people in that position, my heart just went out for her. I I tell you what, Jim, I'd got more skin in the game in this book than I thought I would have.
1: Yeah, and I think there is a degree of the human condition. You know, being human, you can't help but feel for the characters. Mm, mm. Um, Because ultimately we have all been there. Mental health is something that, everybody experiences whether that's positive or negative mental and the quality of one's mental health changes on a daily basis dependent on so many things and just you know I think there is for me um when people I mean goodness in our lifetimes Wendy you know mental health is a is still a new thing people it's a new term you know, if you go back 20, 30 years, people didn't talk about mental health. No. And now it's it's a buzzword. Everyone talks about mental health now. But I don't think everybody understands mental health. And there is still a stigma around mental health that it is seen as a negative thing.
2: I, th- I think part of the problem is the exposure that it's had, though, Jim.
1: Because yeah.
2: whenever you talk to anybody, they have a mental... It, it seems this is a generalisation, obviously. And I don't want to um, diminish anybody that is undergoing a mental health issue. But whenever you talk to anybody, whenever you read social media, whenever you see an interview on the television, everybody's got a mental health issue. And in a way, it does a disservice to it because it diminishes it Um, and it makes it out to be too common as though everybody's got one. And so when people really need it, it's a bit like crying wolf. When when people who are really in need reach out for that help, is it always going to be there, or will people just dismiss it?
0: No,
1: exactly. and, it, and, it, that, it that's, and I think that's that's born from exactly what you're saying—that there is a lack of understanding of what mental health is.
0: Yeah,
1: because yeah. everyone has mental health in the same way that everyone has physical health, and some people's mental health might just be a bad mood for a day. And it might need a little bit of tender, loving care for that day. Whereas in as much as physical health can be as varied and as widely different as everything between a stubbed toe and uh, Hodgkinson's or Parkinson's or cancer or a uh, broken arm, in the same way, mental health conditions are equally varied and different. And some yeah, mental health that. conditions are just a case of, I'm having a bad day, I just need some space, so leave me alone today and I'll be fine tomorrow. Whereas in other instances, mental health can take a serious condition where somebody needs ongoing treatment for the rest of their life in the same way as diabetics need.
2: No, I'd, I'd absolutely agree with that. And I think for me, what this um, what this book does is it it shows how... I mean I understand that this is it, it's written by an american it's set in america and it's using that american system of of health and um health and social care um but for me what it does is it it demonstrates the need for resilience training that um that if everybody has a degree of mental health then where are the tools that show people how to look after that and how to make good decisions that protect themselves? And in this, but there wasn't that in this book, because I don't think the system in America, I don't think it's particularly, you know, better or worse than ours. I think it's just different. Um, But I do, it's a thing that I have at the moment is that whilst we focus on wringing our hands and saying, oh, this is terrible, people have mental health issues and there's a stigma attached to it, that's absolutely true and I'm not negating it. But what we also need to be concentrating on is that people are inherently resilient and everybody can do certain things to to take care of their mental health. Uh, But if they don't know what those things are,
1: then they won't do them. So I, for me... Perhaps, that's hit the nails so on the head, Wendy, because it's that thing of, if you've got a bad back, you avoid lifting heavy things. That's
2: absolutely right, yeah. If
1: you're unaware that your mental health means that actually you need to avoid that situation for a few days then you need to avoid that situation for a few days.
2: It's exactly, that's exactly.
1: And and I completely agree with you. I think what's lacking in the way that mental health has um, evolved since it first became being talked about 20, 20, 30 years ago is that we've got an awareness of mental health. We have a focus on the negatives of mental health. And there is a stigma around mental health as being a very crippling thing, whereas actually mental health comes in all shapes and sizes. And understanding your own mental health and understanding how to manage your own mental health is no different than knowing how to manage your own physical health. That's right. Absolutely. And absolutely the awareness. And I think that's something that for me, just in my choice to say, you know, I'm not going to finish this book yet. That, that's part of me managing my mental health. My mental health that's is absolutely
2: cool. it. That's your resilience and yeah. you stepping up to the plate and protecting yourself while I mean, you're in the, the
1: moment, frame of mind. However, I recognize if I read too much of this, it could push me back into a
2: dark. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So, when I said that actually, I think this is a really good book and I'm glad I read it, even though it wasn't set up for my writing style. That's exactly what I mean, because it does make you think about those things. Um, And it certainly made me think about, you know, my approach to stuff. And and I had, although, you know, I have a lot of sympathy with the main character, the young boy who's lost his father, um, my real admiration, um, ultimately, when I'd finished the book, was for his mother, um, because she does manage to pull herself back from the brink yeah, and, and um she does that, that with a bit of help i think nevertheless. never just,
1: less. i mean I'm, obviously i've not finished the book but i think there is a certain degree in that of the, diff, the generational difference in that certainly you know if you go back 30 40 years the coping strategy for mental health was pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get on with it son
0: yeah, absolutely. And that's,
1: that's the resilience training that we were all exposed to. Now, for a lot yep. of people, that resilience is absolutely fine. But for the few that it fails, it fails drastically. Mm. Um, I say the few, Oh, that's unfair of I me. Mean, for those that it fails, that approach fails drastically. It works for some people and for others it doesn't. And for his mother, to a degree... That nature of well, I must continue. I must carry on for my son. I must get on with it. I can't. I don't have an option of not continuing. Is there, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely it is. And 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 for me, her voice was the more important in this because I do think that the the Benny the um, the main character um, really did have quite a severe mental health issue. Um, um, which does gain a degree of resolution towards the end of the book. Um, but there was a there was an acute need from his point of view. His mother's was chronic, and it was much more difficult to spot. And she did her level best to hide it, not just from other people, but to hide it from herself too. No, and um, oh. I and that, found... that raises
1: the question of how healthy is masking.
2: Yes, absolutely. I found her portrayal in the book to be really poignant. Um, so, yeah, I... Uh...
1: No, and that is what makes it a really well-written book.
2: Yeah, it's not an easy read, then. No, Jim.
1: it's not an easy read. However, I think having read a fair amount that deals with mental health issues, amount characters who have mental health, and having seen uh, stage shows that and TV shows that deal with the issue of mental health, it is incredibly easy to unwittingly portray mental health conditions as oversimplified or uh, not genuine to show them as non-realistic. Whereas here, what we've got is we've got very... I mean, like, like I completely agree with you, the portrayal of the mother is so beautifully written... You know this is a this is a genuine person. You could you could feel this
0: person, couldn't you?
2: Yeah, 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 absolutely.
0: I'm curious. Are you curious? I'm curious about history. About Burton's history. About people, about the community. I'm curious about all these things and I like to talk about them. On a microphone, here I am talking away. If you'd like to do the same, and if you're curious, why don't you come down, bring your curiosity to Micro Brew Radio. Come on down and talk about everything you're curious about here on the show. Microbrew Radio, it's a place for the curious. Um, right, before we go any further
1: with the Book Form of Emptiness, shall we take a little wander over to Poetry Corner? Yes. Superb. Now, I I have, since the start of this programme, decided to change the poem I'm going to read because I was torn about what to read today and I was going to read one poem, which I'll bring back another week, but I'm now going to read a poem that I had earlier decided not to read. It's about mental health awareness. So, the poem is called I Am Everywhere. Who am I to ask you for the time of day when you look at me as if I am a wall of grey? My insecurities are fueled by that devastating look in your eyes that rips my very being from existence. For you see, I am not like you. I am the nothingness that creeps inside your head and haunts your once pleasant dreams until you plead for death to take you in its icy grip. For who am I to ask if you will stay by my side? For I am one of those many lost souls, and my abandonment issues how I wish to blame you. You deserted me, but I know I am the one to blame. For you see my mind does not work like yours. It corrupts even the purest of thoughts, impales them with the purest of impurities, suffocating them like the vines around the necks of the flowers. Who am I to ask if love is a shout into the void? I still tear out my heart with my bare hands. I am lost inside a world where no one can see the truth. It's always them. It's always suffer, you sufferings in silence. For you see, they do not understand what it's like to be lost inside your own rotting head, scared of the monsters under your bed. Now they are inside your head. No one cares if you ended up dead. So please answer me. Who am I to ask for your hand when you do not see the way you should? You see a feeble, weak, broken girl, who's far too gone to be saved. For you see, I am none of your concern, but that is where you are wrong. I am a mother, a daughter, a father, a son, a friend, family. I am everywhere. So please don't turn your back on me.
2: Yeah, that's really powerful, Jim.
1: Uh, Written by Michaela Ferris. Um, And for me, oh, well, I I, I toiled over the choice of whether to share this poem or not because... Um, you know, this is a big heavy conversation we're having in light of this book about mental health, and f- through the things we've been saying in this first section of, of the program about the book, and then actually, like, no, I need to share this poem because it really does sum up all those things about the fact that these are the they are mental health is, is everywhere, whether it's good or bad, whether it's short term or long term, whether it's chronic or acute or um short lived or long lived. Whatever form of mental health people enjoy or don't enjoy, it's there, it's everywhere, and it's very easy to disregard and to ignore. But also, I think within that poem, what I find is the sense that actually, don't forget that when you approach anyone, you don't know, so always be kind because you don't know.
2: I'd, odd, I'd. Odd. Absolutely agree with that, Jim, because for me, it's not the people who openly discuss their mental health that I worry about. It's the ones that don't. Oh, no, um, and in this book, what this book does is it gives you a real poignant vignette of a woman who is masterful at masking her mental illness from herself and from everybody else around her and it's it's such a big problem that it's starting to seep out and even though it's starting to seep out she does everything in her power to ignore it and deny it and it's um those are the people that we need to be extra vigilant about if you can stand up and say i have a mental health problem brilliant good on you well done but we can't make the assumption that because people who don't stand up inside that, they're not suffering.
1: Entirely. And, you know, you've only got to look at the multitude of instances of suicides that reported where you can find time and time and time again, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, um, I mean, and indeed, if you look at the celebrity world, you know, I think the 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 case that stands out most for me is Robin Williams. Yeah, yeah. You know, from the celebrity world. And it's that issue of, you know, I, I I, talk freely and often about mental health, my own and other people's, if I am permitted to do so on their behalf. And that's because, for me, I am, I am acutely aware that my mental health is only in the positive place it often is because I talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And I would encourage everyone to talk about that for exactly that reason you just said. And that, that, that's why it's such an important issue for me.
2: Mm. No, I, um, get that. I get that.
1: So, Wendy, um, I, I've no doubt you've picked something that is not related to this. So give us something. Uh, yes,
2: I have picked something that is not related. Um, my poem that I'll share with you is from Inside a Story. Mm. Um, And I know that you will know this poem um, because you're a fan of the author. Um, But I looked at it and I just love, you know, the word craft involved with this. Um, So it's a poem called All That Is Gold Does Not Glitter. Mm. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wonder are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes, a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. Does that sound familiar to you, Jim?
1: Well, I am a I am a fan of Mister Tolkien. <laughs> um, although there is,
2: so yeah, this-
1: yeah. I mean, you obviously said I'm a fan of I'm a fan of the author. Um, and as soon as I heard the first line, All That Glitter's not gold, I'm then torn because actually he's not the only one of the people I'm a fan of that have used that first line. Because it's also Oh,
2: sh- but you see, that's the beauty of it. It's not what you it's not what you think you hear, is what you hear. Yeah. Because it's a very traditional, clear reworking of that all that yeah. glitters is not gold. And the way he does it, I love the Craftsmanship of this, Um, and it it, it is as I say, it's a letter from inside um, uh, the 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 Tolkien story. Um, It's the it's it it appears in a
0: letter,
2: yeah. It's it's it appears in a letter that has been left for Frodo by Gandalf, and it is uh, supposed to help him. This poem is supposed to help him identify um that the, the strider that he meets is the real strider and ultimately they use it to confirm Aragorn's identity. Yeah. Um so I just thought it was a lovely poem. And actually a bit sort of coronation themed. Um yeah. sort of so yes, that's why um that's why but I do love it. I do love it.
1: No, lovely, and I mean, absolutely. If you if you're going to go for word craftsmanship, there are few that can rival Mister Tolkien. Um, what what a brain, what a mind!
2: I oh, know, I know, absolutely.
1: Oh well, thank you for sharing that.
2: <laughs> uh, it, he could turn nice. his hand to so many things.
1: Yes, <laughs> oh yes, indeed. It's nice to be reminded of these things that we know and then perhaps aren't in the forefront. Yes. So, thank you very much. Quick! You must listen to MicroBrew Radio, and there's only one way. Well, actually, there are three ways.
0: It's microbrewradio.com. You can listen on there. Or we have an app, which is available on the App Store and the Google Play Store. Get it now. And of course,
1: there's Alexa. Simply say, Launch MicroBrew Radio. Do it now. It's the only way you'll survive. Here. On Micro Broom Radio. Right, let us delve back into the book of Form of Emptiness. Um, so what I'd like to ask you about, Wendy, is I'd like to ask you about the other characters. Yes. Because we've got some... We've obviously got... We've talked about Benny and his mother, and these two characters take a key and pivotal role with the story. And... Um, but we, but they. Benny makes friends with these. Um, is odds and sods the wrong description?
2: Yeah, I think I. I would say they're outliers, aren't they? Yeah,
1: they're they they're outliers. Your, yeah, they're, but they're, they're not.
2: They're not part of the mainstream
1: at all. No, the raggy dolls, if you will. Mm, mm. Um. But what did you make of these characters and how they how they were part of Benny's story?
2: Um, i think that um the b man who is the the sort of uh the very avant-garde poet who is in a wheelchair um he, i think that they are representative uh, and and um if the uh, the sort of artist um who is nearer his own age um i think they are representative of elements of his personality and i'll go so far as to say i wasn't completely convinced that they were real
1: no it, and it is i wouldn't say it's a clear cut answer either no even, even to the there point are where... there are
2: times when there are just going to say there are times when you read passages that in all chapters that involve these two characters and there is some interaction with other people so that leads you to believe that they are real But what if those interactions are happening in his head?
1: All those interactions are his own understanding of himself.
2: Yes. So you're never never quite sure. I'm not convinced, Um, even now, having read the book, I'm still not convinced that I'm absolutely 100% sure that they were real and not just facets that he was playing out in his own head.
1: And certainly, the, the, what I where, where I was hoping this this question would lead us is to the question of reality. And I think what Ruth Zeki has done in the writing of this is she's almost given up her own control over what she's written because, and this is, I am going to read a quote from the book now, and this is um, from fairly early on the book. This is when Benny's first starting to properly experience the voices, and he's he, mm. very early in the book, but inside. Outside, what is the difference and how can you tell? When a sound enters your body through your ears and merges with your mind, what happens to it? Is it still a sound then or has it become something else? When you eat a wing or an egg or a drumstick, at what point is it no longer a chicken? When you read these words on a page, what happens to them when they become you? Mm. And for me, I think possibly the most powerful character for me of the book, as far as I've read, is the book.
2: Mm, yeah.
1: Because the book is its own character, isn't it?
2: Yes, it is. It absolutely is. And and, and I think that, that she cleverly uses that vehicle um, in two very different ways. So for for Benny, the book is the receptacle of the story that he writes about himself. And so for him, it's a mechanism of exploration and testing and ultimately healing. And for his mother, it's a tiny little book um, about um, the art of tidy from Maria Kondo. Um, and for her, it's the book is the solution, but in a very different way. So the the book for her is an external mechanism to deal with her problem. And for him, it's an internal mechanism to deal with the problem. And I thought that was actually quite clever in terms of the way she'd written that. I don't know whether that was intentional. I'm sure it was, um, because it was, it was so well done. I'm sure it was intentional, but it was different. I don't think I've, I've, um, I've not come across that as a, as a, a, a vehicle, um, in a, in a book before
1: no entirely and and uh, I'm going to read again from the book um and actually read you the book's voice this time um because there are these interesting uh, interchanges between the book and Kenny Benny rather um and we get these really interesting questions that the book raises um and asks So, I mean, I'm going to read from the very beginning of the book. In the beginning, a book must start somewhere. One brave letter must volunteer to go first, laying itself on the line in an act of faith from which a word takes heart and follows, drawing a sentence into its wake. From there, a paragraph amasses and soon a page, and the book is on its way, finding a voice, calling itself into being. A book must start somewhere, and this one starts here. So start with the voices then. When did he first hear them? When he was still little? Benny was always a small boy and slow to develop, as though his cells were reluctant to multiply and take up space in the world. It seems he pretty much stopped growing when he turned 12, the same year his father died and his mother started putting on weight. The change was subtle, but Benny seemed to shrink as Annabelle grew, as if she were metabolizing her small son's grief along with her own. Yes, that seems right. So perhaps the voices started around then, too shortly after Kenny died. And then I'm going to skip forward and take you to where the book questions its own understanding of the world. Um, Barely a second. Sorry, folks. Uh, uh, uh. Stories never start at the beginning, Benny. They differ from life in that regard. Life is lived from birth to death, from the beginning into an unknowable future but stories are told in hindsight. Stories are life lived backwards. If skin marks the border where an I ends and a U begins, then that night they did all they could to cross it. For Annabelle, this was a new experience. And then the book goes on to describe the first encounter between Annabelle and uh, Kenny, Benny's father. Uh, Kenji, rather. But it's it, it then goes on to question what is the meaning of itself but but that's
2: because it is it it does formulate as a character in the book yeah and and as everybody else as annabelle is questioning herself and as benny is questioning himself um the only one who doesn't question themselves actually is the two other characters so the big man doesn't and um and i doesn't But um, so it's right that the book should as well, because it it is another character.
1: Yeah, I mean, Um, I, I just want to read this little bit, Wendy. That's what books are for, after all. To tell you stories, to hold them and keep them safe between our covers for as long as we're able. We do our best to bring you pleasure and sustain your belief in the gravity of being human. We care about your feelings and believe in you completely. But here's another question. Has it ever occurred to you that books have feelings too? As you listen to this romantic tale of two ill-fated lovers, do you ever stop to wonder about what it feels like for us? Because in truth, if skin marks the border where an I ends and a U begins, then in these moments of impassioned boundary crossing called love, we envy you. It's that simple. We envy you your bodies. How can we not? Books have bodies too, but our black as like the organs needed to experience the world. The skin that covers our boards and encloses our world words is different from yours our skin whether made from paper or parchment or cloth or these days some combination of plastic glass and metal fulfills a similar function in marking our perimeters but even the most haptic and capacitive of our skins cannot experience pleasure the way yours can we cannot feel the ecstasy the merging of self and other and some of these questions that become metaphysical and existential were really deep for me really and i think that's that added to that whole question of well, where is this where is this line of reality where is this understanding of himself that Benny has who he what is real what isn't real where where are these lines
2: so so I'm just gonna say something okay. at this point um and that is how can you be sure that it wasn't the place you are at with your mental health at the moment that caused you to read so much into this book? Oh,
1: absolutely, I can't.
2: Because there are other people that would have read it that wouldn't have have delved that deeply into it. They would have been more accepting of the pages on the word at face value. And that's why, for me, I do think that this book should have a trigger warning on it. In fact, I was really surprised that it didn't.
1: I think it needs to be handled with care because it it asks really deep questions. And... I know my mental health is in a good place. I am managing my mental health well. But in that journey of mental health exploration that I am on, I ask massive questions about existentialism and about reality and indeed some of my own writings that you know, you, you know and listeners may know that I'm an aspiring writer. You know, a lot of themes in books I've written are around this question of reality and borderlines between... So so
2: let me ask you a question then, Jim. Yeah. Where does your mental health stop and where does your personality start? Because I think leaving your mental health issues on one side, um, I think that you would be asking existential questions about this book and hundreds and hundreds of others. Not because of where you are with your mental health journey, but because of who you are as a
1: person no, entirely, uh, and that's where for me. Um, so I'm just going to pick up on you say mental health issues. I would say mental health, not mental health issues, because I don't see them as issues. Okay. I see that. I see that. I see mental health entirely being part of everyone's personality, mm. and no, your personality changes because of your mental. Health. Um,
2: In the same way that everybody has an internal dialogue.
1: Act, that's
2: not true no it is true um, whether they hear it and acknowledge it or not but we function our physiology and our psychology means that everybody has an internal dialogue some people don't hear theirs but we all have it, it is a it's a function of the way our brain works and some people as don't well as we that.
1: understand it
2: yes yeah but some people don't acknowledge that some people don't don't be- because that internal dialogue doesn't always appear as your own voice, it can appear as a significant other from your past. Sometimes people don't acknowledge that it is their internal dialogue and that they are hearing voices um and it's It's a really really tricky, incredibly complex multi layered issue, and the danger is. When books like this are read without care and attention, they can actually have quite a profound effect on people.
1: But surely, Wendy, I would count that, that comes back to your questions around resilience training.
2: Yes, yeah, it does. It absolutely does.
1: You know, it's... It
2: absolutely
1: it's, does. Does the book need a trigger warning or do we all need better resilience training so that it doesn't need a trigger warning? Because... I identified that actually, oh, I don't need to finish this now. I need to be in a stronger place, then finish it. And I think, I mean, the the questions this book has brought up are vast and huge and massive. You know, we could talk for hours, I have no doubt. Um, Which, if, if nothing else on me, proves how well the book is written because of the way it raises these questions and causes conversation. You know, we've read read books where we struggle to get an hour out of them because because there just isn't that much to them. Whereas here, this book is so well written, even though it might not be everyone's cup of tea, that it raises all of these questions and opens massive doors and debate. It does,
2: yes, I'd agree
1: with that. I think, were I to respond as well as I can to what you've said it would be that for me the book of form and, the book of form and emptiness is a book that will in the same way as every other piece of art take and give dependent upon the receiver
2: yeah
1: yeah I'd agree with that I, I at the moment in my professional life I'm teaching a lot of poetry at the moment for Jesus English literature and um, poems taken out of context of the author can mean completely different things depending on your context as a reader. And mm. I think that is wholly what's happening here from this book. Dependent on the reader, the context changes. And yeah. I think the best works are those that have that ability. Mm. the Ones that are so narrowly written, that they can only be taken in one way. I would say the ones which have less craftsmanship.
2: Yeah, I mean I think there there is no two ways about it. There is a cleverness and there's an intellectual um capability about the way this book has has been written. It will appear to it will appeal to different people. Um and and actually different stages of your life this book might appeal or not, as the case may be. Yeah,
1: certainly. Um, There are people I know would never recommend this book to. Um, Yeah, no, I may, I And for different reasons. Mm. Some who I think shouldn't read it because they aren't in a strong enough place to read it, and some because the questions and concepts it raises would be completely mind-blowing to them. And, like, no, they they
0: wouldn't get it at all.
2: Or would go completely over their heads and yeah. and yeah, hit them by a mile. I know, I agree. So if you were gonna if you were gonna write this book, then Jim, how would you write it?
1: Well, now that is a difficult question.
2: Recognising that you haven't, recognising that you haven't finished it yet, but but you get a feel for a book when you're that far in. How yeah, would you no, write I
1: it? think I'd have to give it a three out of five.
2: Yeah, that, and that's exactly the score that I would give it as well,
1: because. In as much as, personally for me, it might read like a five out of five, unlike some of the books that we've read and I've reviewed as a five out of five, this isn't going to have, this isn't going to be readable for everyone. For no, I'd agree reasons. with that. Yeah, I'd agree with
2: that.
1: Um, right, let us, before we go any further, in fact, well, I think we really ought to put a pin in the book of uh, Form of there because time. We definitely well, do. And because we've had, we've had a couple of, uh, a couple of our recent episodes have been reruns of our um, Desert Island Library series. Um, We've, we've actually got a bit of a mammoth task ahead of us because we've now gone three weeks without an episode of what has Granny read? (laughs) And as our regular (laughs) listeners will know, Granny can read. So in the past couple of weeks, Granny has read. No Mortal Thing by Gerald Seymour, Killer Smile by Lisa Scottoline, Linda Castillo's Sworn to Silence, Karen Swain's The Secret Path, James Patterson's Revenge, Shahan Karantula Kilad's The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida, Um, Robin Pilcher's An Ocean Apart, The Fall by Louise Jensen, and C.J. Sampson's Dark Fire.
2: Oh, wow. That's a that's a decent pile, then, Jim.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's near. It, it's. It, I mean, it's about a foot tall.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Does she have a favourite out of those that she's re- that she's read?
1: Um, I think Dark Fire by C.J. Sampson is up there. Yeah, she spoke a lot about that one. I I I couldn't say if there was a definite favourite because she's she's talked about a few of them. in in positive terms, Um, I can say there's one that is her least favourite.
2: All right. And which one was that?
1: The Seven Moons of Marley Almeida by Shahan Karantikian. Yeah. Which is uh, possibly a little bit... um, Well, she didn't finish it, Wendy. Science fiction or fantasy? Fantasy, it's... mm, Right. So at Colombo, 1990, Marley Almeida, war photographer, gambler and closet gay has woken up dead in what seems like a celestial visa office. His dismembered body is sinking in the Bearer Lake and he has no idea who killed him. At a time when scores are settled by death squads, suicide bombers and hired goons, the list of suspects is depressingly long, as the ghouls and ghosts who cluster around him can attest. But even in the afterlife, time is running out for Mali. He has seven moons to try and contact the, ma- the man and woman he loves most and lead them to a hidden cache of photos that will rock Sri Lanka. This is a Booker Prize winner for 2022. The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida is a rip-roaring epic full of mordant wit and disturbing truths. Granny's review says, sorry, not my type of book. I only got to page 40 and that was a struggle. <laughs>
2: That's what I love about Granny. Call a spider shovel.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it it's it's a book that requires you to suspend reality and to accept a different way of looking at the world. Mm. And it's not for everyone. Mm. But it is a it is a winner of the Booker Prize. So um I will be adding it to my to be read pile, but I'm not sure it's everyone's cup of tea, shall we say? Fair enough. Um well Time does uh, wind on and we are to the point where we ought to perhaps start considering the end of the programme, Wendy. Is there, is there anything you'd like to add in summary from tonight's episode? Um,
2: No, not really. Um I think everything's been said. Um ugh, All I would say is it is, it's... <laughs> It's a labour of love. And if you're going to tackle it, you need at least 18 or 20 hours to get through this book.
0: Yeah, it's not a a quick
2: read. It is not a quick read or a small read. Um, So, yeah, but I I hope that we've given you enough to be able to make the decision about whether it's for you or not. I, however, have treated myself because I got to the end of this and thought, my goodness, Wendy, you deserve it. You deserve a prize after that. So I've just bought Ellie Griffiths the first three books in the Brighton Mysteries series.
1: Oh, with um, the, the ones we started reading?
2: Yes, yes.
1: Superb. So
2: I treated myself with uh, for the first three of those. And I shall be going and starting one of those this evening.
1: Well, we've got some exciting reads coming up, folks. We've got a young adult local author that we'll be featuring uh, fairly soon. We've got The Power of the Dog by Thomas Savage that's coming up at some point. Uh, there will be a rerun of our special visit to the Discworld and our look at all things Discworldian. Uh, and in preparation for, we are going to be reading very soon... Uh, Rob Wilkins' biography of Terry Pratchett, A Life with Footnotes. So there's some really exciting reads coming up, I think, Wendy.
2: Yeah, sounds good. I um I do need, after that, though, I need to lie down in a darkened room for at least yeah, a day. Yeah,
1: no, I, I think I might need a slight <laughs> palate cleanser. I might dip into something like... Uh, I might... Ooh, I've got um, a one of the St Mary's Chronicles on partway through. I might... Go for a panic cleanse there.
2: Sounds good to me.
1: So, ladies and gents, and everybody else, until next week, good reading. Happy reading, everybody.
0: This show is part of Microbrew Radio, Burton-on-Trent's community radio station. You can hear this and plenty of other shows over on microbrewradio.com, Find our app on the iOS or Android stores or just say Alexa Play Micro Brew Radio. And if you like what you hear, please let us know on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and TikTok. Thanks.